Let's stay to read the first 23 verses just because of the two, the two stories we want to cover and they're interesting and good for us to read the scripture, right? So let's read God's word, Second Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to Jordan, each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell. They answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling the log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float, and he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. And once when the king of Syria, so notice the way this is written, this is not necessarily in uh, any kind of chronological order. Once when the king of Syria was warned against Israel, he took counsel with the servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. And what's going on there is basically he's saying, This is the place we'll set up for ambush. But the man of God said, Word to the king of Israel. Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Syria sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used the king of Israel. Thus he used to warn him, so he saved himself from more there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled over this thing. And he called his servant and said to him, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, somebody's telling the king, our plans, it seems like. Verse 12, one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may sit and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent these their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open the eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those to whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come against them again, unraised in the land of Israel. And so, 
uh, very interesting, uh, well-known stories. Uh, I assume that everybody's fairly familiar with these stories. Um, does, does Dothan ring a bell to anybody? Where, do, where have we uh, read about Dothan before? This is where uh, Joseph was sent to get his, check out his brothers. They were in Jordan, Dothan, remember? Alas. Um, uh, so we have here today a floating accent, transpire. We want to see why, again, these stories are there, other than the fact that they're interesting. Uh, what lessons can we learn? Uh, last week we finished up with the heaven. We saw that Rashi seven times speaks in perfect cleansing. Saving the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, he thought if you don't understand what true religion is, you will look for a church or experience in the air. It's like man who wanted ritual to show, you do not want true service and humility. He had a wrong view of what God, what person God was and what God expected. Man that is used as an example of the Gentiles who were given the kingdom of God. I show someone who has not changed from within, and so a sinner is cleansed in them, and while a hypocrite is exposed like a I think it's interesting, perhaps, that from that point, the servant of Elisha is not mentioned by name, and I'm thinking that perhaps Elisha got a new servant. Gehazi does show up a few chapters later, but uh, as we know he's a leper at this point, which is one reason why. Elisha probably got rid of him, but he's still around, and uh, so uh, he does show up. But I, I would assume, perhaps, that he's this is not the servant that uh, Elisha has his eyes open in this particular account. But it, we can only speculate to some degree. <clears throat> so here we have the first account of a they're out chopping wood, and the axe head flies off. Uh, you know the way these things were, were made back in the day, where you had a piece of wood stuck through them and you, you know, tap a nail in there or screw something to kind of expand the wood and hope for the best, but it wasn't going to be too long before uh, you'd have to keep doing that and finally you just jump in and throw it away, right? So it's no surprise that under these conditions that this happened. Uh, and so we, we, what's, what's the takeaway? Well, I think the takeaway is that accidents happen. You say, well, that's, you know, kind of a common saying. What, what, what What's the spiritual lesson of that? Well, sometimes unforeseen things happen from a human standpoint, as it does here. It's beyond our control. It's good to remember this, uh, that we understand that it's not proper then for Christians to get angry over such things that are true accidents. Uh, because we know that, uh, that even the accidents are under the uh, control of the Lord. He's purposed them there for some reason. And uh, so we see an example of this here. Uh, there are no accidents with God, and that's why we cannot um, lose our temper or become despondent in some way because something's happened that nobody could uh, do anything about because uh, we know the Lord is behind it. And so on one level, it was his purpose to allow this to happen. And, uh, and so it's easy for us to find ourselves upset over these things over God's providence, and there's so many places in Scripture where we're taught that uh, there's another way we need to look at this. Now, this does not, because accidents do happen, 
I, I think it's good for us to remind ourselves that this is not excuse, excuse careless supposed accidents, because in one sense, carelessness is a really an accident to some degree, right? Even under, under the Old Testament law, such things still made a person liable. If you uh, did something in which you, even though it was an accident, cost somebody money, you destroyed some of their equipment or an animal, you were liable to replace it. And so I think that's that, re, that shows us that God expects us to as much as is possible uh, to uh, reimburse somebody when you cause them financial loss in some way, even if it wasn't under, you know, even though it was an accident, doesn't mean that perhaps if the person forgives you, says, look, that that money doesn't mean near as much to me as it does to you, so don't worry about it, that is prerogative, but as much as is possible to take those things seriously when you cause someone injury that you do what you can to make it right. Um, so from the viewpoint of the one who had the accident, this means that we cannot use the sovereignty of God to be careless or uncaring. Can't say, well, yeah, I caused, I wrecked your car, or I did this, but you know, God's sovereign, so, you know, you know, I think we usually have that attitude when I am not out any money. Uh, but when we're, when we're out money, we don't have that attitude, right? It, that's inconsistency that it is certainly wrong. So this man was rightly upset because it was borrowed. He, and you got to remember these, you know, you, you don't put down the whole depot or Lowe's and, and just replace this for a few bucks. Uh, at this day and age, this was a big thing. It was uh, something that cost money that was not easily replaced. So he's rightly, I think, upset. And again, if love is guiding our lives, all this, I think, makes sense. It keeps one side from overreacting and the other side from just shrugging it off. It's unimportant. Uh, because we care. We don't want to be the cause of someone to, to be out if we can help them. Another thing to think about is that there is uh, that the count is mentioned at all. Uh, and I think one lesson we can take from this is that there's nothing that's so trivial that uh, it cannot be seen as uh, God uh, taking care of us, of asking God for help. You know, we, we, we've done something, and, and something small. This isn't a huge, life-changing problem, but it's, it's a small problem but in one sense. But it's not wrong for us to uh, take it to the Lord he would take it. He would watch over it and take care of us. He said, "Well, how do you know that?" Well, because he goes to the prophet, and the Lord allows Elisha to make this miracle that it be restored. So the, the Lord is concerned, and the Lord is part of this. It's not like so, so. We need. It's just a lesson to remind us that the Lord takes care of us, even the little things, and it's okay to go to Him. In fact, John Newton, picking up on this particular uh, account, wrote a little one-line, uh, one stanza poem. Not one concern of ours is small if we belong to him. To teach us this, the Lord of all, what's made the iron to swim. So just, he said that one of the things he got from this is that nothing is so small that the Lord cannot and will not take care of it. It's his will. He's interested, the, the Lord is interested enough in this to allow Elijah to make a, to do this miracle. So I think that's something we can't. Remind ourselves about. Of course, we know Matthew 10, 
are not two spar- sparrows who sold for a sin, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, what's the takeaway? The fact that God knows all about uh, the, the, the minutest details. Well, don't fear. Because you are more valuable than any sparrow. So it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God is concerned and is cognizant and deals with the sparrow, how much more you, right? So so there's great comfort here. We make a mistake when we think God is so great and he's so big that uh, he kind of doesn't sweat the details. He's not interested in details. He's the God of, of great things and the important things. He's not concerned with every aspect of our lives. And I think this is a verse that reminds us that's not the case. And when we think like that, that God isn't concerned with me or is not concerned with these little things, only the big things, we start to fashion a God who is not the God of the Bible. And of course, we don't want to do that. And when we do that, then we don't trust him in every situation. So here, this guy has lost this guy. He's lost his accent. Uh, the accent. And instead of going to the Lord, as he kind of does here, going to Elijah, if you think that God doesn't care about these things, then you're going to try to work it out yourself. You're not going to look for help from the Lord. And you don't give him opportunity to, to help you, to glorify him. So it might be a mundane and personal, but it's a need. A need is a need. Remember, they couldn't just, as I said, couldn't just run down to the people and replace this thing. So, so, I think a lesson is that God is, uh, is concerned with little faith in our lives. But we'll reverse it for a moment. Yes, sometimes we tend to think some things are beneath the Lord's, uh, care. And we tend to deal with them ourselves. But, we can look at this from another point of view. Are we willing to let God take care of the everyday affairs and we don't trust it for the big things. I think sometimes our faith goes either way. Maybe it's a person's personality. Some tend to trust God for the big things and not the little things. And some, you know, are, are always praying about God for little things. But then a big crisis comes in their life and they fall apart because they forget that, that these little things are training us for the big things. So, you got to keep it balanced. If God is in complete control of the little things, then because we are his children, we should be absolutely sure that he will take care of us in the big things, which is kind of what Matthew 10 was saying, in the difficulties. Sometimes I think we go the other way and we miss this. So in one sense, it's, it's controlling all the little things of the universe that clearly reveals God's power more than the big things, because you know, God's got his glorious end in mind, but if he's not able to take care of all the bazillion little things in the universe, uh, he'd have no idea how he was going to get anywhere, right? He could make a plan. So you can only plan when you're in control of the little things as well. And again, sometimes I think our theology is, works well in one, but we kind of forget the other. We, we, we sometimes go either way. So we can praise God and give him a testimony over things that are relatively minor. And, and sometimes people will 
do that. They, you know, I think sometimes people can get a little trivial, and they make they, they much of a fact that, well, I lost ten dollars in the and, and the Lord helped me find it. Praise the Lord. Well, you know, great. Yeah, certainly the Lord it did allow you to, to lose that twenty or however much it is and find it. That's great. But that's just training you so that when you have a real trial, real trouble in your life, and the Lord takes care of you, now you've got an even bigger thing ready to uh, testify. You know, not to fall apart. Not to say, well, you know, that person was good at praising the Lord over these little things, but when life really got, took a turn, uh, they all of a sudden disappeared. And you, you ever heard from them again? Or they didn't do too well. We don't want to be like that either. And so the better, uh, this is why we must continually be thinking about what is going on in our lives that we might be able to discern what the will of God is for us. Everything that happens to us, we are responsible to serve the Lord in that. The better we become at trusting the Lord for everything, the easier it's going to be to trust Him for the more difficult things. I was reading the uh, this, this excellent little thing at Stonewall Jackson, who, uh, of he was, um, Stonewall was a, was a civil war. And, uh, he had a rough day. And he, and he wrote, he tried his sister who was unsaved. And I thought, well, there, that's, this, this is an example of why this is in the scriptures to remind us to, that, that everything that happens to us, we've got to relate to the Lord. He says, my dearest Ellie breathed her last on Sunday evening, that's his wife, the same day on which the child was born dead. So, you know, he had an infant son who was born dead, and then later on, his wife Emerson. Which right in the system Oh, the consolations of religion. I can willingly submit to anything if God strengthens me. Oh, oh my sister, would that you could have him for your God. Though all nature to me is eclipsed, yet I have joy in knowing that God withholds no good thing from him that love and keep his commandments. And you know, if it is, you know, it's just a great testimony. Because it is, so he's, even in you know, the death of his wife and his son, he's thinking about his sister who's unsaved. But I'll tell you this, I think I can say safely, I can safely say that he didn't just learn that that day. Those are things that he was growing in over the years. He was, he was practicing. He, 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 he was able to deal with the little, smaller things so that when the Probably the biggest trial of his life comes about. He's ready. And he does well. And so, you know, and again, I think it's good to, to know those things because it reminds me that in the dark hours that I have, I'm not the first person to go through these things. And others have done well. Others have lost their life uh, for Christ. And, and I can too, but not by my own power, but by the Lord. Alright, so there's the first thing. The first little uh, vignette that we see. And then the second thing, of course, are these Assyrians uh, who have come up to take and kill, no doubt, uh, Elisha. And so we have two groups of people here. Just like last week, we had some different people at Naaman and the servant girl. Very different in the, in the contrast there. Here we have two groups of people. 
those who have sight in true reality, as Elisha does, who have sight, Elisha sees something that the world does not, right? So we have, in a sense, the, we talked about the wise and the foolish as we're talking about the wise men in Matthew. Here we have, I think, another example of that. Uh, the lost and the saved, those who have their eyes opened to the Lord, the truth, and to reality, and those who are denying reality, as Romans 1 says, are suppressing the knowledge of God, walking in darkness, and it, re- there's, it results in the way you live your life. And so the king of Syria and his men, and Elisha and, and, and servant, both groups are living as they can with the light that they have, and I think that's the whole point. One sense of, of reality affects the way you live. Who you believe to be the most powerful determines how you live. If you think that you can do anything, or that, you know, man in this world is able to do whatever they want, no help from the Lord, that's gonna, that's gonna change, affect the way you live your life. We know, the Bible is very clear, that someone who thinks that way is living in a delusion. They're, they're walking in darkness and think that they can live a successful life apart from the Lord. <clears throat> so there's a fundamental difference in the way a Christian lives and the way the lost lives. And we're, we see that illustrated here. So here, the Lord's people's enemies are setting ambushes for them in the hope of destroying them. But they can't succeed. And of course, the, the, the text is telling us why. Uh, Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I mean, it's not about literal. It doesn't mean that when I walk out into the, the night, I think the Bible would be convinced in a light my way, right? I mean, it's telling me what life is about, who's in control, what, what's really dangerous, and what's not. And, I, and it's, it's so I know how to live, right? Um, Psalm 27.3 uh, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. It doesn't mean that you're going to win the war, but in, in Israel's case, it's a little bit different under that covenant, uh, but we know that the point here is that the Lord is going to take care of this. When we're up against an enemy, we can do it in the so one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and gain the beauty of the Lord through pride and temple. So that's what I'm concerned about, it is getting to know God and worshiping Him. Or He will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His hand. He will lift me up high upon the rock. And now my hand shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer him his sacrifices and shouts of joy, and I will see many felonies of the Lord. And again, as New Testament Christians, we understand that while sometimes that means the Lord will help us to overcome our enemies in this life, we know that ultimately that, uh, we're going to be overcome with nothing else by death, but ultimately the Lord is going to take care of us. It's all going to work out for good, right? So, uh, this is, this is, I think, what the text is reminding us of. The Word of God teaches us who the Lord is, reveals His wisdom to us, 
and, and it saves us from falling into the pitfalls of life that would undo us and, and cause us great spiritual harm. When we forsake the preaching of his word, we set ourselves up to succumb to the wiles of Satan. We, we, we meet weekly so that we can learn these passages and be reminded of how God loves us and takes care of us and who to go to when we have problems. And so in verses 15 through 17, the difference is that Elijah, Elisha is able to see things from God's point of view and when our eyes are open, everything starts to make sense, especially uh, when they're open to the sovereignty of God. We should be able to identify with Elisha. Uh, he is saved from his enemies because he knows what the Lord's will is for him. And we see a couple of New Testament examples about this. In the first one, Matthew 18, 10. See that you do not despise worldly little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels will receive the face of the Father who is in heaven. Here he, uh, we talked about this before, but I, I find that to be one of the most interesting scriptures of verses in the Bible because it, it says the guardian angel isn't concerned with your situation, that big situation. He's watching that. He's looking at the Lord because the Lord is one taking care of all that. So he's waiting on the Lord. He's looking at his face. He's beholding the Lord. And as the Lord says, okay, do this, take care of that, he does it. That's how we overcome the, the trials of life. We, we study the Lord. We listen to him. We rely upon him. And, and so take a cue from the guardian angels. Matthew 26, 52. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? There's a lot going on there. Doesn't mean that we can ever take up sword and defend ourselves, but in this particular case, he reminds you that when you, you know, that that, that can sometimes turn against you, and you can die by the sword as well. But in this case, he says, you know, it says, well. He had to go to the cross anyway, and, and, he, and he looks at Peter and the disciples, and he says, Do you guys not know of Second Kings 6? No. I don't think he actually had that in mind, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have this uh, text in, in his mind when he says this. Um, I don't know that Jesus was looking at, at that point, was able to see the angels around him. Maybe he did. We'll talk about whether that's important or not in a moment. But he's saying, and in a sense, why would he say, "Do you not know?" It's because they had this. They had this text, another text that uh, if, you know, Elijah. Remember when Elijah was surrounded by his enemies and the chariots were all around him? And, and you think it's any less now? So it's just a, a, great, a great text there. Psalm 3, 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Because he who is with us is greater than he who is without. He doesn't have the Lord, right? It is. Um, Elisha says here to the, um, greater is he that is with us. Somehow better. Um, 
verse 16, but those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And that's always going to be the case. There's always going to be not just more angels than there are demons or enemies. Uh, the, the God is just greater. He, he just, he, he's just much more mightier than any whatever danger we get ourselves outside of. <clears throat> and so that's the that's living reality. So that's living. Jesus gives us an example there of living with your eyes open, not your physical eyes, but your spiritual eyes. I will not. I will not fall apart. Or do things that I know are contrary to God's will. We'll say this is a temptation starting next week. Uh, I will not live according, according, in a way that I know is contrary to the Father's will. Because it will pan out. It won't, it won't lead to any good. In the 70s in China, Christians were meeting in different places trying to avoid detection. I'm sure they still do that. Um, the leaders would be arrested and sent to labor camps. And one, this happened, the story happened in the 70s. One particular meeting in which there was a strong sense of the Spirit's work, at the end of the meeting, there were five visitors who stood up and said that they had been sent to arrest. But now, having heard the gospel, they want to believe. They were actually converted. And I thought, well, how easily does the Lord take care of our enemies, right? In that particular case, he doesn't always do it the same way. But that's how he does it. Um, you could read Psalm 124. It's very short. It's just one more passage that I think applies here. Let me just read it to you. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, when the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has given, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, it, there was some battle. Some some physical enemies come against us, and when when they were delivered, they sang a praise of reality. They know that it wasn't because of anything other than the Lord. Now He might have used secondary means, but the Lord gets the glory in this thing. We always have to remember that. All right, so a couple things to keep in mind then with these passages. First of all, it is not always the Lord's will to save us from our physical enemies. We already kind of believe that. We don't live in this covenant. Uh, we know that, you know, many Christians will, you know, be martyred or being martyred. That Christians go through all sorts of things. And the Lord will, it's not the Lord's will to deliver us from all of our physical enemies. We shall be saved from all of them in glory. We shall triumph over all of our physical and spiritual enemies ultimately, but it won't always be in this life. And we, we got to remember that as we fall into the trap of the health and wealth gospel. Under the new covenant, the blessings of the Lord are whatever enables us to glorify His name, and He tells us up front that that's our primary, sir, the primary way 
to glorify him is going to be through suffering. And that's why it's so frustrating when God's people don't handle difficult times because he, he kind of misses the point of being saved. Secondly, we cannot, nor should we expect that the Lord is going to open our eyes in a physical sense as he does here. Uh, we've talked about the, like, the point I just made several times. This is a new video that we haven't talked about too often. Um, because we read this, and, and boy, if, I, if, if the Lord would just open up my eyes in a time of difficulty, and let me see the reality of the spiritual world, Oh, I would be such a, a much stronger Christian, and I would be so much more, it would be so much easier to serve the Lord well, right? So, so my point here is that the Lord will not give us visions in, uh, of angels, he won't give us miracles like he does here with the accent. And the reason is that now that we have this passage and others like it, we don't need such a vision. In other words, this is our vision. Right? We don't need to see Elijah's servant, what, he, what his Elijah, Elijah's servant saw, because he's opened my eyes to see and to believe the word of God, and this is my vision. That's what living like faith is all about. The fact that where I'm told that the chariots of fire exist, both here and like the Lord and the Lord, like read, that's all I need. And if it's not all, I, not all I need, then I don't have faith. Because faith believes in the unseen. What the faith believes, what the Bible says about the unseen. And so, I can react just like Elisha does without seeing the chariots of fire. Uh, we've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why would we need more? And how is it possible to see more than to see what we've seen in Jesus Christ? And so if our fears prevail, it is because we don't have the faith, we don't have faith in the unseen. As our knowledge of the Bible increases, so will our spiritual eyesight. We can see the end of the pleasures of sin. We know that they are for a moment, but that there is misery in eternity when we follow after sin and not the Lord. And, and so we, we live in reality. When, uh, if you, you know, those familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, I hope all of you are. But as he approached the Palace Beautiful, there was a narrow passage he had to go through, and there were two lions guarding the way, which caused him great distress, until he was able, he was given a, a, the ability to see that they were held in check by two stout chains. And see, the Bible is, this, this passage is showing us the chains that our enemies are under God's control, and they can only do what he wants them to do. And again, that's why I believe Revelation 20, and it says, I saw Satan bound by a great chain. It's not that Satan's into irons. It's he's under the control of God. He can only do so much and no more. Um, Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Uh, Hebrews 1.14 Are they not all ministry and spirits talking about the angels? Sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So you see, uh, the angel of the Lord encamps around them is really a reference at least, a reminder of what we in our text here. In uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 
Can't you grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us? When the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Once again, another passage reminds us that the angels are there, but that ultimately uh, they're going, they're, they're work to be when the Lord comes back, not to take care of every little situation we're in now. And so I think that the, the, the spiritual lessons here are just you know, fantastic and extremely important. Uh, then, of course, we see the, the end here that when Elisha then strikes them with blindness, and tells them, look, you're in the wrong city. Well, I think the fact that, you know, they probably, I think there's more here than just physical blindness. I think he strikes them with a little more spiritual blindness too. They, they um, the fact that they already had Elijah, you know, they, I think they knew where Dothan was. And it's possible that they were, they, they were just confused and Elijah just kind of tells them this lie and they believe it. But, it's, it's, it seems to me that they were more than just physically, you know, it's like if, if all of a sudden I'm struck blind and someone says, oh, you're not where you thought you were, well, I just saw it, right? So I, I think there's more going on here. I mean, that may be a small point to me, but the man, the man of God is confident because he knows what he is to do. Um, and it's interesting here that he, uh, the Lord's blessing lies in order to protect innocent life. But have you ever thought that, um, you know, well, I've already made this point about if you, if I could see something, I'd, I'd believe much better, I'd live much better, right? Well, another verse here I think that goes along with that is John twenty twenty nine. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Dr. Thomas, remember when he uh, sees the resurrected Lord. Blessed are those who have not seen him. I think it's the same point I just made. Jesus is saying, it's not really necessary for you to see the resurrected Lord in the flesh because we have read about it in God's word and those who have seen the flesh are eyewitnesses of that. If the Holy Spirit is giving you saving faith, that's all you need. I don't need Jesus to appear in the front of my bed and scare me to death. To believe him. No. I just need to read God's word and believe it. How different to fall under the care of God. And even for his enemies. God doesn't strike these these men dead. He he feeds them and sends them off. And it's a reminder to us that that, uh, we can show mercy. And that we're not here to eradicate our enemies. We're here to preach the gospel to them. We've been given a glorious message uh, to our enemies. And so we are reminded here of the grace of God. Of, of a, uh, well, um, the couple of songs that come to mind. First of all, um, we have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saved, Jesus saved, right? So, uh, that's, we're, we're to spread the message all around, right? Jesus saved, Jesus saved. So it's just a reminder that it's not all about just Defeating our enemies. It's doing good in the midst of that. But then Joseph Hart, of course, wrote some of them we sing now and then, one of the great songs of faith. From these sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save him. 
full of pity, love, and power. Come, ye thirsty, come, and welcome God's free bounty, glorified. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you life. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost, and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Though the incarnate God ascended, leaves the merit of his blood. Venture on him, venture over. Let no other trust in truth. Let not conscience make you labor. Not a fitness finally dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel the need of him. So, trying to figure out, you know, well, am I fit enough? Is this going to work? No. The point of this song is trust. Jesus has revealed it. The gospel. He, he has revealed what you need to do. You gotta have a need. You gotta realize that you're undone without it. And if so, he has salvation for you. So, that's great. So, any questions or problems? Father, we thank you for your love to us this day. Pray about your blessings upon us. We look around and we see that Lord, this is a message, the glorious message of the gospel, the glorious message of the sovereignty of God and his power and how he takes care of his people. And so few seem to be interested to hear about uh, you. We pray that you might uh, help us to find your people out there and see these peaceful uh, might share with them the gospel and uh, worship together. Yes, he says in Jesus' name.